Amen. You may be seated. Indeed, he reigns forever. We've just been singing about the scene in heaven, and it's not the scene of heaven someday when we will get there. It's the scene of heaven at this very moment. If you do not have a sermon outline, just lift your hand, and these kind gentlemen will make sure that you get one. Someone will bring it to you. If you would, take your Bible and turn to Matthew, or Matthew, starts with an M, Micah, uh, go to the table of contents if you need to, to find that, Um, but uh, we're going to be looking again at Micah, and we're asking this question as part of our title of the message today, what does God really want? What does He really want? This passage this morning that we come to in Micah chapter 6 answers that question. Now, the world is confused about this. And this text that we're looking at this morning was written 700 years before the birth of Christ. So we're talking 2,700 years ago, this question was being answered, but it was also being answered a long time before that. But somehow, through the ages, through the millennia, we remain confused about what God really wants. Now, to be sure, in this present day, there's an increasing number of people who don't ask this question because they don't consider God. At least they don't ask this question when life is relatively normal. They don't ask this question until something goes, typically, horribly wrong. And then they start to ask, why did God do this? Or what does God want? What is happening? I want you to know that I am concerned that the secularization of our society in which God is increasingly not considered is a great concern. When I moved to Europe, wow, I can't believe it, Marcy, it's been almost 20 years ago that we moved to Europe. That's unbelievable. When we first moved to Europe to go to language school on our way to Africa, um, I remember that uh, when we arrived in France, one of the missionaries that was there and helping us get settled, he said to us, You know, in America, um, when a car wreck happens or when something happens in someone's life, some crisis comes along to the average secular person, non-Christian person, they immediately suddenly exclaim things about God. They immediately start praying to God. They immediately start thinking about God. They ask, what happened or why did God do this? God is on the radar. He said, welcome to a land, unfortunately, where God typically is not even on the radar. Now, I'm concerned that our country is fast becoming more and more like that, but I know that God is still moving, and He will continue to move right up until the moment of the return of Christ. God will continue to be calling people out of darkness into light, and some of you are in this room today or you're with us online today because God has been doing something to draw you to Himself. Maybe it's been 70 years of your life that you've been living, and by His grace, He's been drawing you to Himself, and you've been listening and responding and and learning of Him as a Christian. Praise God. For those of you that came to Christ late in life, you you recognize what it was like to not live in knowing what He desires and not live in tune to Him, but by His grace, now you've come. And then others 
you're on the journey. Well, let's look and see what God's Word says about what He really wants and what His real design is. Notice with me, especially this review is important for those of you that are new to us so that you can kind of know where we are. Micah is a little tiny book in the Old Testament. Um, That means it was written before the coming of Christ's first birth and His resurrection, uh, His life and His death and resurrection for us. But this little letter of prophecy has a few cycles of prophecy in it. In fact, it has three cycles, and they go judgment, but also what? Mercy. Both of them are there. Judgment revealing sin, mercy, God's dealing with our sin. The setting is this, the people of Israel are in rebellion and they have sinned against God. That's why Micah is preaching. That's why Micah is a preacher. That's why he is a prophet and he writes down about 25 years worth of his prophecy into these little seven chapters for us. So the first cycle in Micah's Micah's, um, writing is, and what does it say there after the first cycle? What, What is the theme of that cycle? It is what? Okay, that was, that was fair. I know you're hiding behind a mask, but let's say it out loud. First cycle is destruction and regathering. So we see judgment. God is going to bring judgment. He's going to bring destruction upon his people in order to get their attention, and then he's going to regather them. That's chapters one and two. And then the second cycle is, okay, let's don't do it twice. The second cycle is Very good, very good. Doom and deliverance. If you go back and you read it, it's not looking good. And Micah is declaring to them, look, you are God's nation. You're not obeying him. God, because he loves you, is going to come and he's going to bring armies against you. He's going to chastise you. This is where we see that those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Look at the next part here. So doom and then deliverance. The third cycle is where we've been for the last few messages. It's Micah chapter 6 and 7. We're in Micah 6 this morning. The third cycle is, what does it say there? Denunciations and salvation. All through this, we see judgment and mercy. Now, last week, we looked at God's indictments. You remember the title from last week where we were looking at that God is the, is the parent that's it's, he's as a frustrated parent. He says, what have I done that you act like this? What have I done that you disobey? What have I done that you run away? As I've delivered you and cared for you, we're going to be reminded of that. But this morning we're looking at Israel's reply to that indictment. And so put a big circle around Israel's reply. We're looking at the first one. This is Micah chapter 6, 6 through 8. And um, we still have part, more parts of this cycle to go in the next few messages. But this morning we look at a very important reply as we see how Israel was dealing with God's indictments. Now, last week we did notice that the Lord declares his case against Israel for doing what? For breaking their covenant with him. They were unfaithful to the covenant that he had with them. He said, you're going to be my people and I'm going to be your God. And he gives to them the covenant of the law. And over and over and over again, they keep breaking God's law and not keeping God's law and ignoring God's law and turning away from Him. So we see, we see God's heart as a frustrated parent 
of rebellious children. You remember with me in chapter 6, in verse 3, it says, Oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. I mean, this just sounds like a parent talking to a teenager. That's just what it sounds like. Or perhaps a 20-something that is unresponsive in love and not careful, not, not, not living on what they've been told and what they've been taught. And there's a, there's a great frustration. A parent doesn't know what to do with that. Now, the difference is, is that God can express frustration without us accusing Him of not knowing what to do. Um, this is more for our benefit that we would see that He is working through His grace and His mercy in our sin, um, perfectly knowing what He's doing. Notice the next part. Despite God's repeated provision and rescue, underline it, they what? They sin against Him what? Continually. You see, that's the condition of the human heart when trying to serve God in its own strength. They see God's provision. They remember it. They benefit from it in His rescue, but they sin against Him continually. You know, when I look at that, I, I still think about my own heart, and I think about my own struggle in a world where I'm called to live and honor God, and yet I only have to look so far as my, my own thoughts and my own heart, my own sinfulness, that I continually need God's merciful help in His grace. And this is the great message of the gospel. Look at the next part here. Their sins are what? Many, but His mercy is what? Do you remember we sang that last week? His, our sins, though they are many, His mercy is more. Oh, praise the Lord. That's what we would sing. So, let's notice this. This is giving God what He really wants. Let's read the text, and then we'll go on, notice some things out of the text, and see some very important related passages here, and then draw some things out of this passage that I believe will help us draw near to God today. Micah chapter 6 verse 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Verse 7, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Do you see the poetic nature of this? Let me remind you that some of you, some of you would look at some of these passages and you say, man, pastor needs to get together his formatting with a word or publisher. I mean, why does, it, why does he not have these indented straight well, let me, let me just say I, I probably need help with formatting, but this is actually, this is the attempt to help us keep up with the Hebrew poetry. We don't understand Hebrew, we don't read Hebrew, so it's harder for us to see the beauty of this, but if you start to see the cadence and the structure of the Hebrew poetry, and that's what the different indentations are all about, it helps you see what lines go with what lines. Okay, does that make sense? So don't, don't get frustrated about the indentation. Just start to appreciate it and start to understand that there's a reason 
for it. So we see this, but when we come down to verse 7 in the middle, it says, shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? That's very poetic. And it's poetic not only in Hebrew, but also even in English. Look at verse 8. Here's the answer. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? So this morning we come to Israel's response to God's indictments and then God's response back to what is proper. And what we're going to see is, you know, I put up there in the bold statement, giving God what he really wants. Really, this is two parts. It's giving God what he doesn't want, but learning what God really wants. Have you ever received a gift that you really didn't want? And I mean, somebody was, was going all out for you, and you're thinking, ah, what am I going to do with this? I mean, I, I think probably somewhere along the way, we've all received a gift that we didn't want, some things that we thought were going to be so great that whatever, that really wasn't what was needed or wasn't appropriate, something along those lines. I mean, I, as a missionary, there were gifts that were given to me in food um, that I have to be honest with you <laughs> that I didn't want. I, I don't like organ meats. I, I'm, I'm just not one of those organ meat guys, tongue, uh, you know, heart, uh, brain, uh, you know, I, I have a problem with organ meats, but, you know, that some, but, you know, the, the, they were giving it with joy and everything, and I don't know that that association is exactly necessary, but the, the picture here is that, it, because it's actually far more serious than that, and we're going to see this. It's not just that he doesn't prefer it. It's not like just that I don't prefer certain things that I'm given. What we're going to see here is is that we can give things to God that anger Him. Thinking that we're doing what we're supposed to do and we are making Him very angry. We are insulting Him. I want us to see that this morning. You remember with me just above that that what we've just recognized is, is that the indictments have been made. The mountains could tell what all your sins were for the last 700 years. That's the context of this passage. And so the people have heard God's indictment against them. He's saying that even though I've walked with you through all this trouble and you continually sin against me, I deliver you. You continually go out after other gods. You ignore my words. And so what do you do instead of obeying me? Look at what they do and look at what he says. He says, what shall I, with what shall I come before the Lord? This is as if Israel is speaking back. With what shall I come bring before the Lord and bow down myself before God on high? Shall I give him, shall I, excuse me, shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old, verse 7? Would the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, ten thousands rivers of oil? You see, these are the gifts that only a king, and it even goes beyond what a king could give, rivers of oil. Not even the wealthiest king of all could give rivers of olive oil or rivers of other types of oil. They couldn't do that. 
Or should we look to the pagan way of things? Should, should we give the firstborn for my transgressions? We're talking about child sacrifice. That was certainly all around the nation of Israel. There would be steps of human sacrifice on the high places in various places. This is a very satanic, very evil thing. And we know that even Israel in their, in their pagan things that they got involved with, they're worshiping other gods. They were, even God's own people sometimes were guilty of child sacrifice. Very hideous sin. sin as if God wanted this. Notice a few things here. In verses 6 and 7, we notice that this is Yahweh God we're talking about. This is Jehovah God, and He is rightly exalted in their response. So they look, and look at verse 6. What shall I, what shall I come before the Lord? Do you see the all caps where it says, the Lord? That means Y-H-W-H. That is the actual personal name of God. That's like Thomas or Andrew or Sonia. Or this is the personal name of God. That's, that's Y-H-W-H, the Yahweh. So we're talking about the right God. They're responding to the right God. And notice the next part in the next line in verse 6. It says, and bow myself before, what does it say there? God what? on high. So they're rightly recognizing this is the God of the universe. This is Yahweh God, and He is rightly exalted. So that part is correct. But notice also in verse 6 that there is a reckoning expected. You see, they know that they've sinned. They're now seeing that and they know that they're going to be held accountable. They're going, to be, they're going to have to reckon for this. This is like a reconciliation. This is like, okay, this wrong was done. Well, what's going to make it right? So there's a reckoning. There's always a reckoning before a holy God with sinful people. And so look what it says. What sh with what shall I come before the Lord? You see, they know that it's time to come before the Lord, and it's time to bring Him something, right? And bow myself before God on high. Look at verse 6. Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings? So there's this reckoning expected. The problem is what they're bringing. I want you to notice in verses 6 and 7 Fill this in as well. Notice the progression of sacrifices from the possible to the absurd. And that's what we see here with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? Well, those were part of Mosaic law. That they would come and they would bring an offering and offer it up on the altar for sin. And then it goes on. Burnt offerings with calves a year old. So that would have been a premium burnt offering. That would have been a really nice burnt offering. This is a young, not an old calf that you're done with. Not an old calf that gave lots of milk and whatever, maybe a little sickly or whatever, or he's just young and the meat wouldn't be that good. I mean, excuse me, he's just old and the meat wouldn't be that good. Here we're saying this is a real sacrifice financially or practically. Calves a year old. Well, then it goes on to something more. Look at verse 7. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? So here's 
Here's what a king could give. He could give a thousand rams, or thousands of rams to be sacrificed, with ten thousands of rivers of oil. It's, a, it's an odd way to say ten, and the plural is on the thousands in Hebrew language, ten thousands rivers of oil. That means that thousands upon thousands, tens of thousands of rivers of oil. And the picture is here, it becomes more and more absurd, more and more impossible. Are these things going to satisfy God because of my sin? And then to the ultimate extreme of what perhaps a human could give, shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? So the the most absurd that we would look, that, that we would see all of what God would say, that, that God would never condone such a thing. Yes, indeed, Abraham was tested in this, but that was a question of his faith before God. God did not call Abraham ultimately to sacrifice his son. It was a test of his willingness to trust God. There is no picture of human sacrifice within proper worship of God. But here we see the most absurd. Look at verse 8 with me. The answer is not all of these sacrifices. Verse 8, he has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? but to do justice, underline that, do justice. To love kindness, underline that, love kindness. Right out there to the side, mercy. In Hebrew language, you can can translate mercy and kindness very similarly, or even, there's another word, does anybody know what the other word is? Starts with a C. Very good, compassion. Justice, mercy, compassion. I want you to get the sense of this. To do what is right and to do it with gentleness and love. Mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. Ah, the key missing part. Notice this. In verse 8, what we're going to see is that there, is, there are four questions in verse 6 and 7 with one reply. And so look at the four questions. What shall I come before the Lord with? Verse 6 up at the top, come before him on high. Shall I bring him burnt offerings, a calf year old? Verse, there's the second question, look at 7. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands rivers of oil? Third question, fourth question, shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Fourth question, and now here's the one answer. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So four questions and one reply. Notice here as well in verse 8 that this is not new information, Look at the first part of verse 8. What does it say? He has told you. (laughs) Throughout the Old Testament, he has told you. He told you this over and over again. From Genesis all the way to Micah, we see that they have been told 
what God wants, but yet their hearts would be hard and and not remember the truth of the Lord. He has told you, O man, what is good. Notice the next part here in verse 8. Notice that the first Adam fails and the second Adam prevails. Now, there's, there, there's a massive amount in that. The first Adam, we see, that, and the word Adam is man. That's the word man. Some of you never knew that before, but it, if you were to read Genesis 1 and we go on, to, there's different words for man, but one of the main words that is used for the idea of mankind or man is Adam. So here we see that the first Adam has failed, and the second Adam, right above that, Jesus Christ, he prevails. What the first Adam could not do in pleasing God, the second Adam, Jesus Christ, would do perfectly. So the first Adam falls into sin and is in a failed state, and the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, the preeminent one, would come to rescue the first. So he says, he has told you, O man, O Adam, the failed Adam, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Notice that we also see here the expectation is humble obedience. Humble obedience. And from Genesis chapter 3 on, we see that man has a problem with humble obedience. Do you remember that God said, keep the garden, fill the earth, subdue it? He commands them these things. And then he says, but this tree in the center of the garden, you shall not eat of it. For when you do, you will die. And the great picture here is spiritual death. They didn't eat it and drop dead on the ground physically. It was a spiritual death that would come and affect all of us through this rebellion. When all along what God expected was humble obedience to do justice, to love kindness and to walk humbly with our God. There are some related passages that cannot be missed. When we look at verses, look up there at verses six and seven, um, and those questions, those four questions, and then we see verse 8, the answer. You, you, I, I just, I really want you to see these related passages. Look at Psalm 51, verses 16 and 17. One of the great psalms of repentance in the Bible that you should familiarize yourself with is Psalm 51. Look at verses 16 and 17. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. Now look at verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. What does it say? Read out loud together the last line there in verse 17. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. You see, immediately we're wanting to appease with a sacrifice. Immediately we're wanting to go burn something. When God all along is saying, what I really want is your humble obedience and your nearness to me, a broken and contrite heart. Look at Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8. In sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted 
but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Do you see the poetic nature of this? Verse 6 has two parts there. In sacrifice and offering, you've not delighted. And then down, burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Verse 7, then I said, behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will. O oh my God, your law is within my heart. So his instructions, this is the idea that God gives us his law. He instructs us about who he is. And what he's called us to is humble obedience. But the first Adam has failed in that. All of us as first Adam have failed in that. That's why we need the second Adam who perfectly fulfilled it. And that's where this is going. That's where the whole Old Testament is going. The whole Old Testament is to show us we need a perfect sacrifice. We need the help, the rescue, the rebirth of the second Adam. Look at Amos chapter 4 and 5 over there on the right. Come to Bethel and transgress. Now, Bethel is where they would offer sacrifices in Israel. Come to Bethel and transgress. It doesn't say offer sacrifice. It says come to Bethel and transgress. That's because their offerings, their, their sacrifices were actually sinful. Come to Bethel and transgress to Gilgal, to Gilgal and multiply transgression. Wow. Bring your sacrifices every morning and your tithes three, every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leavened and proclaim free will offerings. Publish them, for so you love to do, O people of Israel, declares the Lord. Now, in just a moment, we're going to see the very next chapter of that. But here's the picture Israel loved to sin and they loved to offer sacrifices. They loved the world that they lived in. They loved their flesh. They loved their own way of thinking. They loved their way instead of God's way. And they thought, well, we'll just keep making sacrifices because that's what everybody else does. All the other pagans keep doing things for their God to appease their God. And our God must be like them. And so that's why we have many of the major prophets and the minor prophets of the Old Testament is to show us how flawed that thinking is. Not doing God any favors by showing up at church. You're not not appeasing and atoning for your own sinfulness by being nice to the old lady across the street or, or giving sacrificially of your finances to someone or something else. This is this is, you see, we're, we're good at doing this too, but look at verse 6, Hosea chapter verse 6. We studied the book of Hosea a couple of years ago. Look what it says. For I desire steadfast love, and look what it says, and not sacrifice. What he would rather have is your steadfast love. God would rather you love him Then you try to appease him. Look what it says. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God, rather than what? Burnt offerings. The expectation of Micah 6.8 is humble obedience. Look at it there at the top of the page or on the screen in front of you. He has told you, O man, what is good. 
So you see, the other things are bad. This idea of continuing to offer sacrifices is bad. But what is good? What does the Lord require of you? What does he want of you? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. We want to see what those things are. But let's first of all notice here, number one, there is no substitute for humble, faith-filled obedience to God. There's just no substitute for that. There's no substitute for humble, faith-filled obedience to God. I almost put on the outline, you could write above it, faith-fueled. Faith-fueled. It's the It's the obedience that is fueled by faith. You're trusting God that he's good. And so the reason you love God and his standard and not the world and its standard is out of faith that he's good, that he knows what he's doing. He knows what he said is right. And so you you change your entertainment, you change your values, you change what you're doing with your life and your resources, that you're living for him and for eternity instead of for this this moment that is passing away. You see, there's no substitute for humble, faith-filled obedience to God. Letter A, Israel offered sacrifices attempting to make up for their sin. And notice this, they, they wanted to make up for not doing justice. They weren't interested in living in a just way. And when we talk about justice, we're talking about What is right? How do you treat one another in a right way? How how are you careful to honor others instead of taking advantage of them? How are you careful to lift up others instead of pushing them down for your own uh, benefit? And, And if you remember with me a few weeks ago, as we studied these back in the fall, some of them were pretty tough, where there was such great injustice that the prophet Micah and Isaiah were calling out, saying, you are dishonoring God with the way that you're living. But Israel was offering sacrifices to make up for not doing justice, for not loving kindness. They didn't love kindness. There was There was a great hostility and a great brutality in the way that they were living in fact, do you remember these sermon titles? I mean, I feel, I mean, some of you came despite seeing some of these early on. Can you imagine? Look at the next sermon title. Can you imagine showing up here for the first time that this was your first time sermon that we ever heard? Do you remember this one? Land grabbers, lying preachers, and highway robbers. If that was your first Sunday here, would you, are you bold enough to lift your hand that you came back? I, I don't know. I guess none of them came back. But I mean, that's what he's dealing with in chapter 2. The rich taking advantage of the poor. And the prophets that were preaching to the people falsehood saying, it's okay, it's okay, you can keep sinning. God, just offer sacrifice, it'll be okay. Telling the people what they want to hear. Or highway robbers. Sojourner comes through your land. God says, sojourner comes through my land with my people. He's not to be mistreated. He's to be taken care of. And that's, that was not what they were doing. What about this one? Do you remember this one? Okay, so this really amps it up. I'm sure this wasn't anybody's first Sunday. They're probably long gone thinking we're crazy. But look what it says. Cannibal kings, false prophets, and crooked judges. If 
you go back and look at those sermons, you see that there were great injustice. They were not doing justice, and they were not loving kindness. They were, li- listen to this, they were living just like the Phoenicians, and the, they were living just like the Assyrians, and they were living just like the pagan nations around them. And so they would offer sacrifices for not doing justice and not loving kindness. And what about this one? They were not walking humbly with God. Michael 1, 7 and 13, oh, they had other gods. They were worshiping other gods. They weren't walking with the one true God. In verse 13, they had lots of pride. In Lachish, they had this, these whole armies of horses, just mounted cavalry. They, they had tremendous power in their arsenal. They were self-sufficient. They weren't honoring God. They weren't depending upon God. They were depending upon themselves. What is the opposite of walking humbly with God? It is walking pridefully with other gods. It is idolatry. Well, The other thing that we need to see here is letter B, and we need to learn from this, is that God cannot be bought off. You can't buy God off. You can't say, well, I'm going to do what I want to do, and I will appease him in this other way. Okay, so you remember we we read a few minutes ago that in in Amos chapter 4, Amos, another prophet, dealing with very similar issues, is saying, you love your sacrifices, you love your sacrifices, you love your sacrifices, you love to do that, people. But look at Amos chapter 5 and verse 21, and this is on the screen in front of you. Look what God says. I hate, I despise your feasts. Now, what feasts? We're talking about the festivals. We're talking about their religious holidays that are supposed to be worshiping God. And he's saying... I hate it when you guys get together in my name. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. See, so they're being really religious. A solemn assembly. Everybody, let's gather together before God. Let's all be silent. Let's put ash on our heads, sackcloth. You know, let's come and we, we stand here in the square together and we're silent before God. And this is a religious thing, you know, that we're good. You know, America is really good at some of these things. We have very religious things that we do, you know, tomb of the unknown soldier sometime. You know, we're doing our, you know, sometimes it's a right honor to the guys that are there. And others, it's, it's really just a religious ceremony that we're like appeasing God. I mean, we have, we have to be careful in that. You know, we, we can do that through July 4th, Memorial Day, various other things that are woven in with the fabric of our nation and, and perhaps our patriotism. And though a lot of that is in the air right now, but we, we can, what I'm saying is we can have these solemn assemblies, we can have these solemn moments where, where we think that we're paying homage to God when in fact, we may be just angering him. Look at verse 22. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and great offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, so that you even took the time to fatten up this calf, which means that you gave it the best pasture and perhaps some of the best grain, fattening this thing to make it an even more plump sacrifice for me, and 
I will not look upon them. Verse 23, take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. Verse 24, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. God is saying, I want you to do what is right. I don't want you to try to appease me with your little token offerings. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. We can't skip Isaiah chapter 1, beginning of Isaiah's prophecy, very important. Remember, Isaiah is at the same time as Micah. Look what it says in verse 11 on the screen in front of you. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. So they would light incense, you know, part of the whole, you know, they're looking back to the Mosaic law. They're looking back to all of those things. And all of those things, they are not obeying God in what is right. Instead, all they're holding on to is the ceremonial sacrifices, including the incense. It all has representative meaning, and it's all not being recognized as it should and as it could. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations, I will not endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Verse 14, your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul, what? Hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Verse 16, wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds and from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. What does God want? He wants justice, right living. He wants holiness. He wants mercy, forgiveness, graciousness. That's what he wants of you. The whole Old Testament is showing us we can't give God those things. Notice the next part. Look at verse 7. There is no hope, excuse me, verse, not verse 2, point number 2 on the back. There is no hope of justice and mercy without walking humbly with God. You can't do it. You can't live doing what is right, and you can't live in mercy and compassion and loving kindness 
without walking humbly with God. It's impossible. Look at letter A. Walking with God enables us to do justice and to love mercy. That's to have compassion. It's walking with God that gives you the strength to do what is right. Only, letter B, only when we love God can we love others truly. In Matthew 22, they came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, what's the most important law? And Jesus said, the first law is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the great picture. This is the Deuteronomy chapter 6. Love God with everything you've got. And he said, you didn't ask for it, but I'll give you the second one. The second one is love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two, love God and love others, the whole law and all the prophets rest on these two commandments. And they went away going, hmm, can't argue with that. My friends, the only way, th- this is what God really wants. Look at 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7. And see, this is where it can really apply to us because, you know, if you've got people in your heart that you will not forgive, it may indicate that you do not know God at all. You need to be real careful about that. Look at 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God. Because why? God is love. In verse 9, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. There's the gospel. Starting point, folks, that's what we were just talking about. This is the true gospel of, of God, is that the true truth of God is that he came into the world that we might live through him. Verse 10, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. That means right out there to the side, the satisfaction for our sins. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Here's the idea. You, you haven't seen God face to face, but if you want to see what he looks like, this is what he looks like. Go love others. That's what God looks like. And so, friends, listen, we, we need to get, get, let our minds and our hearts get down way deep in the meaning that Micah is going after here. If you, uh, bless you, Sheridan Hills, for, for being willing to listen and pursue this. And, and I believe that there will be great blessing in your life as you do this. If we will see that sinning against God and then giving him little trinkets of our sacrifice, trying to make up for them, that that is actually offensive to God. And in Romans, we find that in doing those things, we are actually increasing the sin load against God. So some people, in trying to do the right thing, they're actually increasing God's wrath upon them because they are continuing, listen to this, they are continuing to have more faith in themselves than in Jesus Christ. 
the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So number two is there's no hope of justice and mercy without walking humbly with God. Number three, there's no way to walk with God in good works without trusting fully in Jesus Christ. So you can't buy God off and you can't live right without walking with God and you can't walk with God with it. You see, all these build on each other. You can't walk with God without trusting fully in Jesus Christ. This is how we come to walk with God. Look at letter A. It all hinges on Jesus. That's the whole point of Micah 6, 8, is that it's pointing back to the fulfillment that is found only in a right relationship with God, and that comes through the Messiah. Letter A, it all hinges on Jesus. John 14, 6. Let's read it out loud together. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There it is. What are we supposed to do? Walk with God. Walk humbly with God. Well, how do you get to God? Only one way, through Jesus, the Messiah. It's only by faith. It's only by faith in God, faith in His promise to redeem. So for the Old Testament people, they didn't know His name was Jesus. They knew His name was Emmanuel because that had been prophesied, and they knew that there would be coming a Messiah. They knew that there would be a Lamb of God. They didn't know what it was going to look like, but they were called to come and to live by faith in God, not faith in their sacrifices. That's what they had a hard time. For us, we know that Messiah is Jesus Christ. It all hinges upon Him. Look at Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Again, this picture of walking with God. Look what it says in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is, this is not through your sacrifices, not through your appeasements of God. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no man can boast, no one can boast. Look at verse 10. We often don't quote verse 10. We should. For we are his workmanship. Look what it says. Created in Christ Jesus. That means saved by him. That means born again that we're created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. Anyone that says to you good works are unimportant, that's wrong. Good works are very important, but they will not save you. You have been saved for good works. Look what it says, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. And then look what it says, that we should what? Circle the word walk that we should walk in them. You see, that's Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good? What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? What does that look like? That means doing the right thing. How do you do that? Only through Jesus. Look at letter B. Doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly with God, very important concept, is the response of true faith in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. What do we mean by that? Here's what we mean. If you're truly trusting in the Lord Jesus, you are going to do justice, you are going to love mercy, and you're going to humbly walk with God. That's what He has designed you to do. 
Um, this is evidence that you are in Christ. This is the response of true faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, why do you call, say, Lord, Lord, and yet do not do the things that I say? I'm not your Lord. You will be known by your fruit. You will be known by what you do. And the idea is, if you really know me, you're going to act like it. You're going to live like it. Now, I'm not preaching a works-based salvation. I'm just preaching an evidence of salvation that's very clear from the Lord Jesus that says, if you love me, you're mine. If you obey me, it shows that you love me. So, two key questions for you this morning. I want to look at them real quick. Number one, do you need to stop and turn away? Can you underline that? Do you need to stop and turn away from trying to appease God with your good works and begin humbly walking with God through faith in Jesus Christ? Is that what you need to do? Maybe you've come to this church, you've thought, well, I thought it's all about doing, you're letting your good works outweigh your bad works. I thought that's the whole thing. And what you heard in starting point this morning, if you're in there, or what you're hearing this morning, if you're in here, is, is the picture that, no, it's not about us allowing our good works to outweigh our bad that we're going to atone for our own sins. This, this is not the gospel. That is a subtle lie that takes many away from God. The whole picture is that Jesus came to do what you could never do. He lived a perfect life. And he died a sinful death in your place if you will trust in him. And so I would just say to you today, if all of this has been unclear until today and now you're starting to understand and you hear the voice of God calling you to believe, I would say don't delay in that any longer. Today, let today be the day of your salvation through the grace of God. Respond to what you've heard, that a Savior died for you, and that if you'll put your trust in Him and not yourself, that He'll save you. You may not understand everything that is there. I don't understand everything that is here, but you know what? I do understand that. And if you were hearing that today, I would call you, repent of your sins. Repent of trying to appease God. And by faith, humble yourself. Don't care what anyone thinks. Doesn't matter if they, what do you mean? You've been a Christian for 40 years. Oh, come on, sweetheart. I know that she doesn't know your heart. He doesn't truly know your heart. You and God know your heart on what you've been trusting in. Today, I would say, make sure that you know, that you know, that you know, that you have run to God and express faith in him. Number two, for those who genuinely know Christ as Lord, have you been, fill it in, humbly walking close to God, or has there been a distance between you and Him? Has there been a distance? He's calling you to humbly walk with Him. If there's been distance, why is that? And before you get in pack-up mode, I want you to think about this. What are you going to do about it? Micah 6.8 should call every person in this room to run to God and make changes in their life. Micah 6.8 should say, I need Christ. 
Micah 6.8 should say, I need to be near to God. Now, there's some, there's some folks in this room that they, by God's grace, truly through God's grace, they do justice, they love mercy, and they sweetly walk in humble obedience with God. And they do that, and they would be the first to say, it's not me. It's all him. That's how it works. It's not in us. It's all in him. He just says, come. Come to me. Would you stand with me for prayer? Holy Father, I pray that you would forgive us of trying to appease you with being here this morning. For those who that's been on their mind, that's been in their thinking. I pray that you would forgive us for trying to appease you with our little religious deeds instead of trusting in Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you would show us if there's been wrong motives in the way we live. Lord, the right motive is grateful gratitude to the Savior who died. Lord, forgive us when we quote-unquote offer sacrifices. Try to make deals with you about our sin instead of doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly with God. Forgive us, Lord, when we love the world more than we love you. When we love ourselves, our career, our interests more than your kingdom. For Lord, it's looking like very soon we will stand before you. May we be found faithful in Jesus. Feet firmly planted in the blood of Christ. Standing on the promises of Christ our Lord. May we not be wavering in the wind with the world, angering you with our false religious actions. Lord, help us to see it's all about what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you sing together? Righteousness.